0: Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Welcome to our 10 o'clock service. Uh, I'm expecting most of you to wake up in about an hour. So uh, I've got a little routine I've worked out. Hope you don't mind. I uh, just want to like waste about an hour until I'm back with you right now. But uh, it is great to be with you here in our worship center over in the Ridge, our, our live video venue. Just uh, happy to be with you today. Um, how are you feeling today? you still kind of dragging? You know, some of you are know are awesome because some of you are nine o'clock people that said we are not coming at eight today. We are going at ten. How many of you are here? You're normally at the nine o'clock, but you came late today. Yes, welcome. Welcome to our 11 o'clock. We had a lot of 9 o'clock people at our Saturday night service last night. They're like, I'm not even dealing with that. I don't even have the time for that. So uh, anyway, uh, whatever your sleep patterns, whatever your biorhythms are, welcome to the Church of Rocky Peak and glad you're here and... uh, Good to see you again. It's good to see you on the front row. I saw you last night. Next Step Dessert. All right. Uh, anyway, we're going to go into our time of teaching in just a minute, but I have a very uh, important announcement for you. I shared it with the life group leaders uh, and the host this week, uh, but uh, so you may have heard rumors of this, but uh, something exciting, kind of surprising really is that, you know, we've been in this series Rooted and several weeks ago, um, you know, we were just hearing from all the Rooted groups, like we are just loving what's going on and everyone's question was what's next? And, uh, and so, of course, we knew that was a really important question because if you remember, one of the reasons we've done Rooted is not just because Rooted is an amazing journey in itself, but because uh, our primary reason was to help us develop what I like to call a regular rhythm of relationship in our personal one-on-one time with God. And so this was sort of a means to an end. And uh, it's been awesome, and I think it's one of the reasons God's on the move so much right now, is we're just taking time to connect with Him. And so we were, wanted to be very intentional that we ended Rooted. We didn't just say, okay, so, okay, now you know how to do that, so go do that, you know? We were afraid that for a lot of people, that would be too big a step to move from just a really highly programmed and great content and rooted to just, okay, get a journal, get your Bible, spend some time with God, see what happens. So... Uh, Anyway, we've been behind the scenes really working on that and thinking, like, what could we do? What resources we, could we provide? But honestly, we just weren't feeling that great about anything we were coming up with. And so it was about three weeks ago that out of the blue, God just really surprised us. And as you might imagine, there's a story. Uh, there's no motorcycle this time, but uh, there's a story, uh, and I'll be sharing that in a few weeks. Um, but the bottom line is we just felt like God made it really clear, out of the blue, total, never saw it coming that he wants us to write our own study. And so we are going to be writing a follow-up study that's going to be um, not not based on Rooted, but using the same format as Rooted, five days a week, study we're going to be writing. Uh, It's going to be uh, for all of our life groups to go through. The title of it's called Pursuing God One-on-One. And so the goal of this series is to really jump in and say, how do we pursue God one-on-one? How do we connect with him? Uh, in a way that's really refreshing and renewing on a regular basis so that we can continue our rapid growth and transformation. And so we're going to be looking at things like uh, uh, kind of why we do this, uh, what happens when you do it, how to do this, how to spend time in the Word, how to read the Word on your own and make sense of it, uh, how to pray, how to join with God in His, uh, uh, bringing His kingdom to earth through prayer, uh, how to journal other spiritual disciplines, how to listen to the voice of the Spirit. So we're going to be doing a 10-week series and to kick off the week right after after Easter uh, and uh, go through our spring session. So all of our groups will be doing that. And on top of that, we're going to be doing a weekend teaching series on the same title, all right? So we're excited about that. I'm a little intimidated, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I've always said that Rooted sounds so much like us, we could have written it ourselves. I always said, but it would have taken us two or three years. And uh, so now we're doing our own version uh, in a few weeks. And um, so this for me is kind of like, uh, there's Goliath and I'm the kid with the five stones and uh, here we go. And so uh, I just really covet your prayers and I would ask you to come around me, come around our team that's doing this and that uh, you would just pray that God would anoint this project because uh, what we want to do is really take our next step of transformation. I feel like God has made it very clear this is it. I'm very excited, but I'm intimidated as well. So uh, just be praying with me that God would just be over me as I write this. Uh, words would come. Thoughts would come. All the production things behind the scenes. It's massive. It's a massive project. Uh, not only writing it, but producing it. And so, But we're really excited because our motto is we listen and follow, right, and so for me, i got a chance to live it right out right now, so I'm about two steps out of the boat and hoping the waves don't hold me, so uh, anyway, uh, we're going into our time of teaching, and uh, inside your program is a green and white message, I realize, uh, note sheet, I realize that I've already talked for a long time, if you're brand new, you're probably thinking, what, he's still going to talk, I thought we're already done, but we're actually getting started here, because you're so fresh, we got two hours, right, so here we go, so uh, let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump in, you guys ready to go? Okay. God, we're just hungry. We're hungry to pursue you. We're thankful for what you're doing in our life. We are just thankful for Jesus and how in him all heaven and earth comes together as the ultimate temple of God, the place where we are transformed through him and in him and by him. And so, Lord, we come today excited about this journey, excited about this next step. We pray that today you'd meet us in a powerful way, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen. Well, her name is Sarah. And, uh, at least that's what I'm going to call her for today. And uh, she's uh, late 20s, 29, 30, 31. Late 20s, early 30s. She's single, never been married. Uh, She uh, is loving life, honestly. It's like if you were to ask her, are you happy? She would say, absolutely. I've got a great life. I've got a great job. I've got great friends. Uh, And so life is going really well. But at the same time, Uh, she has a growing sense that she's just becoming aware of. It's like on the outskirts of her consciousness that there's something missing in her life. And if she were asked, it'd be hard for her to put it into words right now, but uh, later she would describe it as maybe a lack of meaning, a sense of kind of a lack of purpose. But uh, about this time in her life, she's invited to go with two of her girlfriends on a road trip. Now, thank God, Thelma and Louise. No, don't think that. Anyway, (laughs) but she's going to go on a road trip. And, uh, and, and so she's excited about this. You know, she says, yes, I want to go. And so on this day, she's getting in the car. She's packed her bags. They're ready to head across the United States. She is so excited about this. But little does she know that her life is about to change. And as she gets into that car, she's headed into uncharted waters. And her life will never be the same again. Well, today... We are continuing the series that we've been in now for about nine weeks. For those who are brand new, want to welcome you. We're so excited you're here! Uh, it's a great time to be jumping on board at Rocky Peak. Uh, God is moving in some incredible ways. We had a fantastic, we had a next step dessert last night. We had about thirty five people there. So exciting to hear the stories of people God is bringing. Most very new, uh, and just what God's doing. So anyway, it's a great time to be jump, jumping on board. Um, we uh, uh, anyway. So in this series, what we've learned so far is that God has uh, what I like to call an epic vision for our lives. Uh, that uh, this vision, uh, is it's uh, not just for our lives, it's for all creation. And that uh, the beautiful thing about this vision, is not for a select few. Um, it's not for like the Navy SEALs of the Christian life. Uh, it's for every follower of Jesus. And uh, it's open to anyone who wants in. And so... Uh, uh, so anyway, we've been unpacking that vision step-by-step step every week of this series, and today we come to uh, the next topic on the table, which is sharing the story. In other words, once we become a part of this vision, once we enter into the story, we kind of, under the leadership of King Jesus, we become part of this mission that each of us has a part to play in helping others kind of spread the news so they know, uh, they know about this vision and they can become a part of it. So, I want to start today with a very famous passage of Scripture, at least to be famous to many of us who've been a, uh, Christians a long time. If you're brand new, maybe not so. But uh, the challenge with any famous passage of Scripture is that it's so famous, it becomes so familiar, we miss the obvious. And so, uh, we're going to look at this as in Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bibles, you got your apps, uh, open up. i are going to turn to verse 18 there in your note sheet. You have a section that's called <clears throat> Rooted. Sharing the story. Hey, guys, I was thinking, uh, we want uh, to use that opening thing about uh, this upcoming series. We want to make sure that goes on the video this week, all right? So the people aren't here, they're in the loop of what's going on. So I just thought of that. All right. So Matthew 28. Um, so let me set it up. So Jesus has been executed. Uh, he has risen again, he's got his new body, um, start of the new creation has begun, uh, he, he's risen, he's been with his followers for a little over a month, he's going to be leaving soon, and remember when Jesus came, um, he, his message was the kingdom of the heavens is near, this kingdom long promised by the prophets of Israel would God would come, uh, forgive the nation of their sins, turn all wrongs to right, heal and restore all of creation, new heavens and new earth. And when he came, he said, that that kingdom is very very near. It's about to be launched. And so now with his death and resurrection, it's being launched. And he's about ready to leave. And so he's going to turn over this kingdom movement to his followers. And so in verse 18, he says, Jesus came to them, his followers, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I want to stop there. This is part of this familiarity that I think we just causes us to miss what's what's going on. Like, what does he mean when he says all authority in heaven on earth? I mean that that sounds awesome on a Bible plaque on the wall, right? But what does that mean? What's he saying? And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying by virtue of his life, his death, by which he paid for the sins of the race, our whole race. And by virtue of his resurrection, by which he conquered death, which is the biggest problem in the human race, and the new creation has begun, by virtue of his life, his death, and resurrection, he has now been crowned king of creation, king of the cosmos. So I I want to take you back to the very beginning of Epic, I mean of Rooted, and to back the beginning of this Epic story that we've been talking about in this series. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and the start of the story, you remember that we're introduced there to this amazing God who is uh, brilliant and powerful and creative, who loves beauty and order, who's completely good, who out of his love creates this amazing cosmos that we're still exploring, right, learning the, the, the kind of the extent of that. And then you remember he created the first man, the first woman to rule. Do you remember that? To rule over kings, uh, or the first king and queen over creation. To rule over creation. You remember that? And so we were designed and destined to rule. But when we rebelled against our creator, we came under the leadership of the great enemy. We lost that right to rule. And so we are no longer living out that destiny. So when Jesus comes, the reason... Jesus comes away. God becomes man and becomes part of our race is to enter into the human race to become part of the race to restore that destiny. And so when Jesus rises from the dead, he is the God-man. He's the representative. He's our second Adam, the New Testament calls us. He's, he's the second Adam. And so now as the man with a capital M who's representing our race like Adam once represented our race as the second Adam he is now being raised to his rightful place of rulership over all creation. So, Cassius, the reason he does this is to take us with him so that we can rule with him. So, Cassius, the story that starts with our call to rule in the garden ends in the last book of Revelation with our call to reign with him forever over the new creation. Do you see this? We're created to rule. We lost, and we are now being restored to rule. And so, as King of creation, Jesus is now saying, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. This is not just like words. What he's saying is, by virtue of my life, death, and resurrection, I have completed the course and I have been crowned now King of creation, representative of the race. And as King, I want to give you my marching orders. So let's see what he says. So he says, so here's your orders. He says, therefore, go, in verse 19, therefore, go and make what? Disciples. disciples. Now notice it's disciples, not decisions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're gonna make. What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower. Right? So go and make disciples. And he begins to spell out what, how we do this and what a follower looks like. He says the first step is to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So he says as you go out, you share this epic story, the story of creation and rebellion and redemption, and the story of Shalom and the story of the new king. It's here in, my, in my, the death for sin and the resurrection for new lives. You share that story. Uh, people will come and want to become part of that story, and they're going to want to follow too. And when they say, yes, I want in, The first step to welcome them to the movement is to baptize them. So, what is baptism? Baptism is a beautiful symbol of a spiritual reality that when we come to Christ and we say yes to King Jesus, that first of all, like a spiritual bath, all of our sins are washed away. We go in the water and our past is washed away. But secondly, it's also a spiritual reenactment. You know like on TV, they, hey, we're doing a reenactment? It's a spiritual reenactment of the death and resurrection of Christ. Every time, just like when we do communion, every time we celebrate communion, we're celebrating the death of Christ by his body and his blood. Every time that we baptize someone, we are celebrating the death and the resurrection of Christ. And when someone is baptized, what they're saying is, I want in. I want to be part of King Jesus. It's interesting the language that is used by the Apostle Paul in Romans 6. He says, when someone's baptized, he says, we are baptized into Christ Jesus. We are baptized into his death, to our old life. We're baptized into his resurrection. So by the power of the Spirit, we rise to a new life. Right? And by the way, just a quick sidebar here. If you, therefore, are a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized you're overdue (laughs) because it's like the first step. You're like, you missed the first step, right? You kind of stumbled out of the gate. So the good news is we have a baptism coming up in two weeks and the deadline's this Wednesday. And so I'm just saying, if you love Jesus and you're serious about following, hey, there you go, right? So sign up. So anyway, so amazing time when someone's baptized, they're saying, I want in. I am sick of my old life. I want to die with my old life, and I don't have the ability on my own. I need to be taken into King Jesus who died with me. So I'm not only forgiven, but I die through him, the power of the old, the old life, so that I rise with him the power of the new. So he says, that's the first step. When someone comes to me, baptize them. It's the initiation right into the movement of Jesus. Right? He says, then he moves on. He says, so after you baptize them, he says, then we're going to teach them to what? What's the next word? Obey, right? Teach them to, let's say it again because we're just not very good at this word. Teach them to what? Obey. Obey. Yes, right. So, not teach them to be a fan. Not to teach them to click like on Jesus' Facebook page. We're not, no, not, not teach them how to memorize scripture. Not teach them how to take notes in a message. These are all awesome things. We, Come to church, we worship, we take notes, we open the word, we memorize scripture, but those are never an end in themselves. We learn the teaching of Jesus so we can obey the teaching of Jesus, amen? amen. Then he goes on, and teaching them to obey, and then I like the next phrase, says obey what? Everything. 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 Wait, wait. And to obey what comes naturally, Uh, to obey most of what makes sense, to obey what I naturally tend to agree with. Wait, that's how we read it. No, we're going to obey everything. So why do we study the teaching of Jesus? Like in our series Unfiltered that has started about when Jesus came, we're going to end when Jesus comes back. That other series that we're breaking in the middle of in Matthew, like why are we studying like Jesus teaching, or studying to learn how to obey everything because it leads to life, and then he moves on, and he says everything. And he says and surely he ends with this amazing promise and surely, uh, in other words, take it to the bank. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And what we often miss is the context. Jesus is not just saying I'll be with you personally. What he's saying is as you listen and follow me, as you carry out this mission to go and make disciples, as you share the story, as you baptize, as you teach, I will be with you every step of the way. This is not your mission. You're not on your own. It's my mission. I go with you every step of the way. I will lead you. I will guide you. I'll protect you. I'll empower you as you carry out this mission to to tell the world about the story of the king. Amen? All right. So so that's the passage. And so uh, what we learn here is that as followers of Jesus, when we become a follower of Jesus, we become part of this movement. And for every follower of Jesus, part of following Jesus is learning how to share the story with those who don't know the story so they can become part of the story. Now, uh, this is why, by the way, in our vision statement as a church. I mean, you all know the, 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 the start of it, right? That our vision is to unleash a movement of what? Christ right, but I need some more passion. So a vision <laughs> of what? Passionate Christ right, right. So our vision is to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. But then we go on to define what a passionate Christ followers. So number one, they're pursuing God, right? Their top priority in life is to, to know him, to love him, and to please him. Uh, They're loving people as he's loved us. We're serving sacrificially their time, gifts, and resources to advance the kingdom. And the fourth. Uh, The fourth phrase is we're sharing Christ, right? Because this is part of our core calling. We become part of the story to share the story. So the question is, how do we share the story? How do people come to become part of the story? What's our part to play as they come on that journey? And so what I want to do today is just kind of highlight three important principles about sharing the story. This will work hand in glove with our small group study of Rooted this week. And so there on your note sheet, yeah, I have a section that's called Sharing the Story, the Process. And so three principles. Let's jump in. Uh, the, first, uh, the first principle goes like this. Sharing Christ is a process. Right? Sharing Christ is a process. In other words, when uh, a man or woman comes to Jesus, it may look like a dramatic conversion. It doesn't always, but there are times when it looks like a dramatic conversion conversion but what I want you to understand is even when there is a dramatic conversion the reality is God has been working on that person for a long time And the behind the scenes, he has used many different people and many different steps to get them from being uh, anti-Jesus or indifferent to Jesus to become a Jesus follower. That coming to Christ is a process. Now, this is so important for us to understand because often I think our paradigm is how people come to Christ is they come via dramatic conversion. And and we often see it's just a point in time, someone shares a message, they go to church, they raise their hand, something happens, and they come in an instant. And we tend to see salvation as something that happens in an instant. But what you see in scripture, what you see in life is that usually when someone comes to Christ, even if it looks dramatic on the surface, when you dive deeper, there's actually a story. There's actually a journey. And Many people have been used throughout their life, maybe from earliest childhood, to prepare them for that moment. So let's, let me give an example. Let's go back to the story of, um, it's kind of warm in here, isn't it? And I say, you know, it's like, I'm getting hot. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right. I feel better. I don't know about you, but I feel better. All right, so... Um, uh, that's just so weird. Usually it's freezing in here, right? So it's like, what's going on? Maybe you know, they, maybe the heaters are like coming on in an hour. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so um, so let's let's, uh, let's 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 go back to the story we started the day with. You remember the story of Sarah, um, twenty nine, thirty, loving life. Um, you know, great friends, uh, single, never married. Uh, great job on a road trip, invited these two friends. And so, as she gets in the car that day, what she doesn't know is that these two friends, she doesn't know this, they're, they're really passionate Christ followers. And, uh, and so, as she gets in, and especially one of the younger women on the trip, she was only 21 years old, and she had recently come to Jesus. And so she was very excited about her faith, and she wasn't obnoxious at all about it, but she was just excited about Jesus. And so throughout this trip, she's just talking about Jesus, talking about how her life has changed, talking about the Bible, stories in the Bible. And Sarah thinks, this is so weird. It's like, I've never known anyone like this. And she kind of writes it off. She's only 21. She'll probably grow out of it. Right? But the longer the trip goes on, and the more that... Um, this younger woman's just sharing her natural passion, the more interested Sarah becomes and she actually begins to ask questions, right? So that's kind of stage one of her journey. And so they come back from the road trip. A few months later, Sarah is going to run a marathon. Now, she's never, read, she's never run a marathon before, doesn't know how to do that. And so she has two other girlfriends in her life that she's always really liked, been drawn towards. They're just very, uh, they're just kind of sharp people. They, they, um, they're, they're full of life, full of joy. They're very selfless, uh, giving. She would describe them as very kind. And, uh, and so they offer, because they've run marathons before, they've offered to help train her, right? And so she says, awesome. She's always liked them anyway. And so awesome, she doesn't realize they're both Christ followers. So now she's got four Jesus freaks in her life, right? So, and so that's just a really great experience. And the more she hangs out with them, the more she finds herself wanting qualities in their life that she doesn't see in her life. And so a few months after that, she wakes up one morning and she feels like she wants to go to church. Now, this is shocking, to Sarah. She's never been to church. She has no interest in church. And where is this coming from? She's as shocked as her friends would be, but she doesn't really know where to go. She lives here in the valley, so she started trying churches, and she started with some smaller churches, and they were very traditional, and uh, as a single woman coming into a small church, she always stand out like a sore thumb, and people are trying to be friendly, but she really wants to be like a fly on the wall. And so they're there offering her, you want to read with me? And she's like, oh, that's weird, you know. And so, and so this is not working for her. So after several weeks of that, she talks to another friend. This happens to be a guy. And uh, he happens to be a Christ. So she's telling me how frustrated she is trying to find a church she can connect with. he says, hey, listen, I want you to try my church. I go to this place called the church at Rocky Peak. And so Sarah says, okay, I'll try it. So she comes the first time, and she's very nervous. Now, for those of us who are used to going to church... Longtime believer, we forget how scary it is to come to a place with people like you, right? <laughs> now, I understand that because I see you every week, but no. it's really scary. And by the way, I just quick sidebar here. For those of you who serve in First Impressions, thank you for what you do. I think about 300 of you, yes. It's like, you know... The whole purpose of that ministry is to create a safe environment where people can come and be loved and be taken care of. And you do such an awesome job, whether it's in the cafe or uh, the the hosts or the uh, ushers or the, the safety team or just creating a safe place. So she comes in. She's very nervous, doesn't know what to expect. And from the moment she came, God began to meet her. And she couldn't really put it into words at the time But the worship started she would describe it later as like the presence of God, but she didn't really understand it. A lot of you have experienced that. You've come here, maybe an unchurched background, and you begin to cry, and you can't explain it. I have next-step desserts in my house. Typically, it didn't happen last night, but typically about six people out of 25 will talk, that, they'll say that story, how they came and started crying. They couldn't stop. They didn't know why. It's just like the presence of God, right? And, and so then he said, and then the, the teaching started. So it was practical. I could understand it. I felt like God was speaking to me. And after three or four months of that, She gave her life to Jesus, and she got baptized, and she was so excited and so on fire, she began inviting her friends and her family, you've got to come and learn about this man who's changed my life, this Jesus who's changed my life. Now, here's the question I have for you. If I were to ask you, who led Sarah to Christ? What would you say? All of them all of them. And here's what I want you to catch. Whenever we meet anyone that doesn't yet know Jesus, they're somewhere on a spiritual scale of zero to 10. So let me define. So zero, zero is what I would call an angry atheist. (laughs) So, So not just an atheist. An atheist, we'll give them a one or two angry atheists, right? So this is like the, the new atheist writing. Christians, uh, religion is the bane of the world. Uh, Christians are the worst. All Christians are hypocrites. If we just shoot them all, the world will be a better place, all right? That's the zero on the scale, right? Okay, now the 10 would be Sarah, where she's come to the place where she wants to give her life to Jesus the moment she gives. So what I want you to catch is every person in your life, every relative in your life, every neighbor in your life, every coworker, every fellow student who doesn't yet know Jesus is somewhere on that scale from zero to 10. And what I want you to catch is our job as followers of Jesus is not to bring them from zero to 60 in one conversation. Our job is to help them take the next step up towards Jesus, And that will really vary from person to person. So if you're working with Mr. Angry Atheist, and he hates all Christians, they're all hypocrites, your assignment from King Jesus may be the one person in his life that loves him well, be a true friend, so that after two years of working with him, he's moved from zero to one, because now he can't say all Christians are hypocrites. He has to catch himself and say, all Christians are hypocrites. Well, there's just one guy. Sometimes you may be playing on a softball team. You're working in a PTA. You're serving, and the person that God's bringing in your life is a five. They're kind of like Sarah. They're indifferent. Never really thought about it. They're not indifferent. They're not anti Jesus. They're not anti Christian. They're just indifferent. And through your relationship and your friendship, just like happened with Sarah, you move from indifferent at five to interested at seven. And there's other people that God brings in our life. That they are, they are not just interested; they're searching. So the moment Sarah woke up that morning and said, "I need to find a church," she is no longer interested. She's searching. And that man that was in her friend in her life said, "Hey, why don't you come to Rocky Peak?" Played a critical role at that point. Right? But if you were to say who led her to Jesus, they all letter to Jesus. It was a team effort, right? It was the two women that engaged in a real relationship with a non-believer and invited her on the road trip. It was the 21-year-old who shared her excitement. It was the two friends she admired that, that trained her. It was the man who invited her. It was the worship team that created such an incredible environment for worship. It was the teaching that God used. And so it was the whole team effort. And so, what we need to understand is that we need to move away from this paradigm of what I'd call confrontational evangelism. We'll talk more about this as we go, where we're going to share with people we don't even know, a very short thing, and expect they come to Jesus in one conversation, and move to a new paradigm of the, of the paradigm of process that understands that this is a process. And so, we need to be sensitive. Lord, what is my role? Uh, ask the Holy Spirit, what are the, what's my role to help them take the next step in their process? Um, I love what Bill Heibel's writing. Bill Bill wrote a great book years ago called Just Walk Across the Room, which is a book on sharing Christ. It's an excellent book. And Bill's an interesting guy because, you know, he's a pastor at Willow Creek, a big church in the Midwest, but he's an interesting guy because he has the gift of evangelism. And if you have the gift of evangelism, you're, you're naturally more wired to engage in spiritual conversations. And what he had to learn as a new believer was that sometimes he would try to push people too far too fast in these conversations, and so look what he says. He says, uh, I've, I've had to learn the hard way that on some occasions the Spirit asks me to be the opener. Um, I have a hoe, and I'm supposed to break up some really hard soil. Think of the angry atheist, right? Uh, in someone's heart so that the next person can come along, might have some influence in planting a seed or two along the roads. And then on other occasions, the Spirit asks me to play the middle guy. You know, think of like with Sarah. You know, she's sort of a middle person, kind of carrying around a watering can and helping quench a few thirsty souls. Still, other times, I'm supposed to pick the really ripe fruit off the vine, like when Sarah was at eight and ready to search. And so uh, he he says... Um, uh, I might describe it this way. I believe many people begin their spiritual quest. So he's going to use a different scale, but same idea. I believe many people begin their spiritual uh, quest at a negative 10. Think angry atheist, right? And that my role is to facilitate their movement to a negative 8. That's it. Two points on the spectrum. And as a result, they're still in negative territory. It used to discourage me, but at some point I began to accept the fact that's the, that the role I'm supposed to play is, well, the role I'm supposed to play. And so I realize that some of you believe that unless the plan of salvation gets explained, it's been an unsuccessful conversation, spiritually speaking. But here's the reality. The Holy Spirit will bust your nice, neat formulas every time. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? And so, so we a, every non-believer that we're in relationship is somewhere on that scale. And so the Holy Spirit's going to call to different things to, to enter into their life, to share their journey, and to help them take the next step, right? So it's a process. Number two, not only is it a process, number two, sharing Christ is a relational process. In other words, in our culture, and I don't think this is true in every culture. Uh, I see this, for example, in global ministries trips where uh, other countries often, not all of the countries, depending on the country, but in certain countries, it's like the, the soil for sharing Christ is much richer, more fertile soil. And people are much more open to the story. And so in other cultures, sometimes you can really share the message of Jesus with someone you don't even know that well. And they're very open and it can lead to their coming to know Jesus. But in our culture, more harder soil in our culture right now, that in our culture, most people are going to come to Christ through the channel of relationship the Holy Spirit is going to use real relationships to communicate the message and to help someone take that journey. So we see that in Sarah, don't we? Uh, she wasn't just you know searching for God, listening to the radio, a Christian radio, or she wasn't going to church. She, she's just going on, a, on a, a road trip with some friends. But because of the relationship, she's just running a marathon, but because of some friends. She's just looking for a church, but she has a friend. And so what you see in her story is that I think it's very typical that in our culture most people are going to come to Christ uh, not through a short presentation of the gospel with someone who you don't even know. That's going to be rare. Most people are going to come through a process, and it's through a relational process. So let's think about that for just a second. Uh, Let me say this, just a quick sidebar. This is not true for all of us. Uh, some of us in this room, some of you over in the Ridge, you may have the gift of evangelism. And if you have the gift of evangelism, what I'm saying at this point doesn't apply as much to you, because if you have the gift of evangelism, you probably have an ability that you're very natural into entering into spiritual conversations with non-believers in a way that's very winsome and they're drawn to you, and you may be used to share Christ in very quick terms and people come to Christ, Right? Um, you say, well, how do I know if I have that gift? Well, number one, you have a tremendous passion for people coming to Christ, more than the average Christ. You think about it all the time. Uh, number two, it is very natural for you to have spiritual conversations. They're not awkward. It's very natural. Uh, number three is you come across really well. People respond really well. And, and number four, you definitely see them move up the scale as a result of those conversations. Now if you think you have the gift of evangelism and you just alienate whoever you talk to, (laughs) chances are you don't have that gift, right? (laughs) And so the goal is not to get the message out there and to have people go backwards down the scale and for you to walk away and say, yes, I told them, at least they know, they're going to hell. And uh, it's like, no, no, no. We'll talk later. Gentleness, respect, right? Well, will our memory verse this week. So, uh, so anyway, but if you have that gift, what I want to say is, man, we need you using that gift because you're a, a gift to the body of Christ. You're like our Navy SEALs on the front lines out there and just sharing Christ and creating an atmosphere where people can come and see and, and just creating a, a, a pathway for people to come to Christ. So that's awesome. But for most of us, uh, that's not how most of us are going to operate. It's not how most people are Most people are going to come through relationship. So what this means is that, therefore, we need to be intentional about building relationships with people who don't yet come to Jesus, don't yet know Jesus. Uh, here at Rocky Peak, we've traditionally, over the last few years, we've called these people what we call One-lives. So who is a one life? A one life is someone already in your life because we already have non-believers in our life, right? We work, um, at, uh, in the neighborhood, relatives, friends, whatever. There, there are people in our life that we just feel like God is telling us, like, I'm really drawing this person and I want you to invest significant time in this relationship to be a conduit of my love to them, right? So you can have more than one more than one, one life, but uh, you know we like everyone to have at least one that we're praying for regularly and so on, right? So... Now, um, you see this, this principle that not only is it a process, it's a relational process. You see a, a great example of that in the Bible is in John chapter 1. Now, just due to time today, we're not going to actually open it up. I'll just only tell you real quickly the, the references on your note sheet if you want to check it out. But in John chapter 1, we have the story of how two of the first followers of Jesus that to become part of the 12 disciples, how two of them come. And so the first, one, uh, the first man that we're going to meet is a man named Andrew. Andrew uh, meets Jesus, spends time with Jesus, and he comes away saying, I'm convinced this guy is the Messiah, the guy we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. And so he goes and gets his brother, Simon, we also know as Peter. And he says, hey, I think we found the Messiah. You need to come and meet this guy. And because of their relationship, Peter was willing to say, okay, I'll make the long journey. I'll go meet this guy. And then when he got there, of course, Jesus took it from there. Uh, a similar story, but even better, is later on in John chapter one, where there's a man named Philip who's met Jesus. He's convinced Jesus is the Messiah, so he goes and to recruit a friend of his called Nathaniel. And when he gets to Nathaniel, he says, "I found the I found the Messiah. We found the Messiah. You got to come meet this guy." And Nathaniel's like, oh, "What's his name? Where's he from? Oh, he's from Jesus. His name is Jesus. Uh, he's from Barstow." And uh, Nathaniel's like, "Barstow?" Like, no, messiahs don't come from Barstow. I'm sorry. And, uh, and so he says, no, really. So he's very skeptical because Jesus had grown up in this, like, no-name, you know, roadside uh, Fillmore, you know. So um, I hope none of you are from there. But anyway, if, if you are, it's just a proof that good things can come from Fillmore. All right. So in fact, great things, great things, awesome things. The messiah came from Fillmore. So if you're from Fillmore, don't feel bad. You're the light of the world. All right. So... Um, So then he comes to Jesus very skeptical, but he meets Jesus. And when he meets Jesus, Jesus takes it from there. So so what this means for us is that that we need to be very intentional uh, in terms of developing relationships with people who don't know Jesus. And uh, this is a big challenge for us because, frankly, studies have shown that most Christ followers within two years of coming to Christ no longer have significant relationships with non-believers. Now, the reason for this uh, is because, number one, um, you've changed. And so some of your non-Christian friends are going to see that change, and they're going to say, I want that. And so they they will come to Jesus, right? Like with Sarah, when she came, she was so excited, she started inviting her friends. And so, so sometimes that happens. Sometimes your friends say, you've changed, and I don't like the new you. And so I don't want to be a friend anymore. And sometimes we've changed. Our circles have changed. Our interests have changed. And so we don't really have that much in common with non-believers. And we're so busy with our new life, our new ministries, or whatever, uh, our, our new small groups, whatever, that we uh, kind of leave our old friends behind. And so uh, the problem with this is that no contact means no impact. And so... We're the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world, but salt only has power when it comes into contact with the meat. The light only has impact when it's lit in a dark place. So so what it means is that we need to be intentional. Uh, Years ago I was reading a book by Craig Groeschel. You you may recognize it, may not, but Craig, uh, his church is in Oklahoma, but it's a big multi-site, one of the biggest churches in America, but uh, uh, Craig, they're, what they're famous for is that they've created the U version app of the Bible. So if you use that, that thing, we're thankful for them. But um, he wrote a book, and it's just a great quote here. He says, um, he says, he asks a great question. He says, do you care about those who are without Christ? And he says, before you give me the program Sunday school answer that most ministers give, let me help you answer these questions honestly. So here's the first question. When's the last time you had a lost person in your home. And he says, the plumber who repaired your sink doesn't count. (laughs) Number two, how many meaningful conversations did you have with non-Christians this week? And I don't think he's talking about spiritual, like necessarily Jesus conversations, just meaningful life conversations that were significant about the deeper things of life. Uh, Number three, who are the non-believers you prayed for today? He says, if you can't answer these questions with several names, chances are you're on the road to not caring. Or perhaps you've already arrived and settled in that dangerous destination. To be fair, most Christians don't wake up one morning and declare, I've decided not to care about the lost anymore. They said that attitude creeps in over time. After being a Christian for a few years, we don't have a ton in common with non-Christians, so we don't typically develop quality relationships. Over time, many Christ followers realize that they have almost no relationships with unbelievers. And if that's you, and I love this, it's for all of us, me included, ask God to increase your heart for those who are without Christ. Remember that Jesus said, he said his mission, he said the reason I've come is to seek and save the lost. And so he says, if that's you, ask God to increase your heart for those without Christ, and he will. Before long, God will send you someone, think of a one life, maybe a bunch of someones whom you can care about. You'll love those. Your love for them will increase, and when that happens, you'll get it, and it's almost impossible to turn off. Your prayer life increases. You're looking for opportunities to shift conversations towards spiritual things. You're ever aware that you're representing Christ, and when you have it, people tend to want it. Your passion for Christ is contagious. Like that 21-year-old girl, right? And so, uh, so first, first thing, uh, first principle is that, the, uh, that, that sharing Christ is a, is a process, but it's also a relational process. So as followers of Jesus, part of this great commission, that we need to be intentional about building those relationships. Now, number three, the third step, the third principle is that sharing Christ is a natural process. So not only is it a process, and not only is it a relational process, but it really should be a natural process. And what I mean by this is that for many of us, we've grown up with or been exposed to a whole approach to sharing Christ that is very much a canned presentation. You know, you meet someone, uh, you, you don't know them very well, maybe you do, but you have a, a kind of a brief gospel presentation that you share, perhaps even with a stranger, and then you pray for, uh, you ask them if they want to accept Christ on the spot, And uh, you know how it works, they always fall on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved, right? You've all tried that. So this is sort of the paradigm that we, uh, many of us have when we think about sharing, this is why so many of us get nervous about this. Uh, You kinda get the sweaty palms, you know, it's like, oh no, here I go, what's gonna happen? Um, and so this is often the paradigm that we have, that sharing Christ is, is what, what it means. We're going to share Christ in a uh, kind of a confrontational way. We may have someone we don't even know that well and give them a chance to accept Christ. And I think be- because of that, uh, what it does is it makes many of our relationships very unnatural because we're always looking for anything they mention, you know? Uh, like, wow, you know, it's really cold today. Yes, God has really made some cold day, hasn't he? You know, and it's like, Wow, I got my new car. Oh, praise God. That's just good. The blessings of God. You know, like we're just trying to cram God into every conversation. And it's so weird. It's so artificial. And can I tell you something? I know this really well because this is the way I was raised. And this is something I have struggled with my whole life, and I'm still getting over. Like, I should go to celebrate recovery and say, hello, my name's Michael. I struggle with cramming Jesus into conversations. Um, I've got a problem. It's a habit, and it's a hang-up, and I need to be here. Um, Because the, the thing is, is that this is the way I was raised, I was raised in a church where sharing Jesus was a very high priority, and the model that was stood up as the paradigm was to share Christ with anyone on short notice. So we always had stories about the guy who sits down on the plane and shares Christ with his neighbor, and they come to Christ, they're kneeling in the aisle, what must I do to be saved? You know, always having stories about, you know, at at the grocery store, you're you're talking with the waitress, you know, you're sharing these rapid, dramatic conversations that come from a very brief conversation with a stranger. Uh, this started for me in third grade. In third grade, I was taught how to do this. I got the little gospel beads. I started doing this in the playground. Now, this was a challenge for me because I know a lot of you will be surprised by this, but I'm actually an introvert, and, and when I was young, I was very shy, right? And so, like, having this kind of conversation, and on top of this, I do not have the gift of evangelism. Now, you may be surprised. You might say, but you're a pastor. Isn't that what we pay you for? Um, <laughs> It's like, why did you go to seminary? That's why you go. That's what you pay for. They give you the gift, you know? Uh, but I do not have the gift of evangelism. I'm not good at this, right? Uh, uh, that, that this is not my, my thing. It's like I've got gifts in areas of, I would say, like wisdom. I've got teaching gifts. I've got leadership gifts. I don't have evangelism gifts, right? So uh, when you try to do something you're not wired to do, it doesn't go well. So here I am with this paradigm of sharing Jesus with every, everyone, and I just kind of go through my life alienating people. Huh? So, so what I would do is like, uh, I remember like high school, going into high school, I went to a huge conference, 100,000 Christ followers in Dallas, Texas. A big part of that was learning how to do this better. And so we went door to door throughout Dallas, alienating the city for Jesus. Uh, <laughs> 100,000 people, dive, close the curtain, say we're not home, don't answer the door, it's those people, right? So again, does God use that? Yes, he does sometimes, but not normally, right? And if you don't have the gift, it will backfire. So what I did is going through my life alienating people for Jesus. And I couldn't create a a real relationship with non-believers because I felt so obliged to have this awkward conversation so early that it would undercut any real relationship from ever happening. Are you with me on this? Are you following this? And so uh, so what I'm saying in this last process is not only it's relational, but it's a natural process. that we don't need to cram Jesus into every conversation. As we'll see in a few minutes, what we need to do is make the most of every opportunity. And when God gives an open door and the Holy Spirit's nudging you, we need to listen. And we just to enter into Natural conversation. Um, about five or six years ago, we went through a series on sharing Christ here at Rocky Peak called The Assignment. And in that series, we, uh, we all read a book together in our life groups, kind of like with Rooted now. We all went through the same thing. And it was called, uh, we, we, it was an awesome book um, with the worst name in publishing history. Uh, and so the, the book I'd highly recommend, it's by John Dixon. The name of the book is The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission which is why the book is still a secret today. So, uh, but awesome book. But in this awesome book, and and I love everything John's written. I've read a lot of his, fantastic guy. Uh, But uh, in this book, um, he shares about how he came to Christ as a young adult, and he shares that when he first came to Jesus that um, he was just so excited about Jesus. He was like the 21-year-old. And it was very natural for him to talk about Jesus just as part of his life. But, but his church noticed he kind of had a knack for sharing Christ. And so they said, you need to take this evangelism course we offered and it almost ruined him. And uh, he writes about this there on your note sheet. He says, it was in those early days as a believer, I had no idea Christians could be coy about their faith. No one had ever told me I was meant to feel awkward about spreading the good news. This was something I learned only after mixing with Christians for a while. (laughs) When I first became a Christian, promoting Christ was perfectly natural orientation of my whole faith. It was similar to the way I felt about football or what Australians and Americans call soccer. I love football. I played it almost every day. I watched every televised English Premier League match. I talked about it. I asked friends to come over to the local Oval for a kick around. I never dreamt that football lovers might be self-conscious about mentioning it or coy about inviting others to play it. But after attending this evangelism course, that's exactly how I felt about my faith. Suddenly, mentioning God and inviting people to church had become a specialized compartment of the faith. It even have its own name, evangelism, its own propositions, its jargon, and even its own multi-week courses. Whereas once I talked about Jesus or about God as freely as I talked about my favorite TV show, now I found myself switching into evangelism mode, where the heart beats faster, the palms get sweaty, you feel the pressure to steal the conversation into a most unconversational manner. And then he says, Thankfully, my own evangelistic self-consciousness soon passed. After months of trying to perform as I'd been taught, I decided to relax. I forgot about getting it right, getting it in order, getting my conversation partner over the line. Instead, I decided to approach my gospel opportunities as if they were friendly conversations about my favorite topic. Isn't that awesome? And he said, it was not long before I realized again, this is exactly what sharing the faith is. And so what do we do? We, we, we understand sharing Christ is a process, we enter into this relational process of loving others well, being true friends, whether they ever respond to the message or not. We should love people well. In the context of relationship, as they raise questions, as you're just yourself, you share your story, your life, uh, they're going to ask questions. And when they ask, we need to be ready to answer them. And so that, that leads to the next thing, is that yes, it needs to be natural, but we need to be prepared. Have you ever had an experience where someone asks you something like, "Well, have you always been so religious?" Or, "Hey, were you raised like this?" Or, "Why do you go to church so much?" And they're asking the question and we don't know what to say because we've never really prepared for those moments. And so to be prepared for those moments, remember our scripture verse this week that we're learning in 1 Peter 3. Remember it says, "Always be always be prepared. To give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. Okay? Always be prepared. So what does it look like? To be prepared, you need to have two things down. You need To be, to be prepared, you need to know God's story, and you need to know our story. And this week in Rooted, they're going to give you both. So when you get to day two, they're going to say, here's the story, this epic story, kind of four-part story. And it's a great telling of the epic story. Very simple. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to be familiar with that story. Not like you need to memorize it, but you need to be familiar with the parts of it. And so you can share in your own words. Well, here's the story. What do Christians believe? We could share that story if it's part of a natural conversation. And secondly, we need to know our story. And so we need to be with what has God done in our life? And so this week in Rooted... They're going to be helping you to to figure out your story and to write your story. Here's who I was before Jesus. Here's how I met Jesus. Here's the difference he made in my life, very before, how I met him, and after. And as you go through this week writing your story, and they teach you how to do that, as you write your story, here's what I want to challenge you. I want you to pay attention to day three this week, week nine, day three, And I want you to look for the word transformed or transformation in that day. Because the key to your story is transformation. The key to your story is what difference did Jesus make when he came in your life? That's what people want to hear. And so uh, they're going to help you think that through. So the goal, as you know, in Rudy this week is we're going to be learning to uh, be able to share our story, just in our natural words, in under two minutes. Uh, Bill Hybels says it similarly uh, in his book that I shared before, but he suggests, and this has been very helpful to me personally, hey, be able to share it in 100 words or less. And I like this because it just helps us understand we're talking very short here, right? If people want to know more, they can ask and we can give them more. But when people ask about, have you always been religious, they don't want 15 minutes. They just want to answer the question naturally. And, uh, and so if you're able just to share that quickly with them, if they want no more, no, they'll ask about it. Well, what do you, when you said this, what do you mean about that? So I like Bill gives us his story. This actually sounds a little bit um, stilted to me. Maybe it's the way that he talks, I don't know. But um, it's just, you know, it's, it feels more like a little bit more professional or something. Um, but I'm sharing with you not so much as a model, but just to help you understand how short this should be. They're very simple, right? So his story, uh, someone asks him about why he, became a Christian. So there was a time in my life when I was absolutely certain that the only way to gain God's favor was to perform or achieve and strive. And a lot of people think of that. That's, what, that's how you become a follower of God. Where you, you perform, you achieve, you strive. And they said, but then I met the Son of God in a powerful way. Notice he doesn't even explain really how that was. He said, I learned that the only way to gain his favor is to accept his gift of grace. And almost immediately, it brought an overwhelming peace. So here's the transformation part a uh, overwhelming peace to my soul and an end to my useless striving and a revolutionary change to my entire world. Now that sounds a little churchy to me, honestly. When you go through Rooted this week, one of the things, highlight this when they're walking you through, say, hey, you want to get rid of jargon, get rid of anything that sounds churchy. One to use church words, things that sound, that alienate. I just want to put this in regular language. So be sure to underline that section. They do a great job of that in Rooted, right? So the idea is, is that in the course of regular relationship with people we love, we built relationship, and we have spiritual conversation, when the door is open, they ask, we're able to share a little bit of God's story, a little of our story, hey, come and see. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it there in Colossians chapter 4. He says, um, be wise in the, in the way you act toward whom? Outside. Outsiders. So Those people outside the faith, right? Outside the kingdom. He says, uh, be wise in the way you act right out. but he says, make the most of every opportunity. So catch this. He says, make the most of it. Don't try to make more of it than it is. When people ask a little, you don't have to back up the U-Haul and dump the whole load. <laughs> All right? Make the most. So we want to make the most mean that if it's a small opportunity, we give them a little if they want more. If it's a big opportunity, they're responding, we give more. We listen and follow what the Holy Spirit's giving us to say. Remember Jesus said, don't worry when you come before uh, men, rulers, or whatever, uh, the Holy Spirit will be speaking through you. And then he goes on, he says, let your conversation be always full of judgment. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> uh, let your conversation always be full of condemnation. <laughs> no, let your conversation always be full of what? Grace. grace. And how much grace? Full, full of full. Grace. Remember First Peter, gentleness and respect. And he said, season with salt, so you may know how to what? Answer. Answer. If we're answering, that means they're asking questions. Right? And so as followers of Jesus, we've been called to share this epic story. The story that starts in shalom in the garden that ends in shalom. The restoration of all life and creation we live with him forever through the life and death and resurrection of our King. And this is an offer for them that they can die to their old life, rise with him, become the person they were created to be, join us in this epic mission, not just for now, but for the new creation that's coming. It's an amazing story and it's an amazing invitation. But people can't come unless we share the story. And so Jesus invites us, commands us, said, This is why I've come. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. And so if you're on my team, this is part of our story that we share his story. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. And God, we're just excited to be here and excited about what you're doing in our lives, in our church week by week, the hunger you're creating to live out this epic vision you have for our lives and to join with you in bringing all creation healed and restored under your leadership. And God, such an important part of that is sharing the story with those who don't know so that they can become part of the story. And so we pray, God, that we would be a church where freedom reigns. We pray that we would be a place of safety and peace. We pray, we pray that we would be a place of challenge and confrontation, a place of new life, a place where people can come and hear the message and become part of the story. And we pray, God, that as we bring you our tithes, our gifts, our offerings, we would use these to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers, God, who are pursuing you with a whole heart loving others, serving sacrificially, and sharing Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And Everyone said amen. amen. Let's stand and worship. <laughs> amen. What a prayer. That your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the heart cry of every Christ follower, that we would see this vision for the restoration of all things, that that kingdom would come and that we would be part of that story, part of that journey, that we would bring that healing and peace, the mercy of God wherever we go. So may this be a week we listen and follow. Amen? Amen. And uh, I hope you can come back next week as we come to the final week of this series before the big celebration. Uh, next week we'll be looking at God's vision for this new community of uh, the New Testament calls the new humanity, that the men and women who will live forever with Jesus and this new creation that's coming. Uh, What does it mean? Why do we gather? What is our role in the world? It's an incredible week. And so I hope you can be here to continue the journey. Don't forget as you go, whether you're over in the ridge or right here in our worship center, that on my right and your left, we always have a prayer team uh, that badges on identifying them. They would love to pray with you about whatever uh, God is doing in your heart, whatever you need prayer for. So until next week, may the Lord be with you. May you be full of the Spirit and full of grace. May wherever you go, you bring salt in light, because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He didn't say you should be. He said you are. So may this be a week we love well, we share our life, we build relationship, and that through us, we'd be channels of grace to the people that God is working on already in our life to bring them to become part of the story, Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Have a great week.